The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We find ourselves in Romans 1, 16 and 17, but if you don't mind, because of its uh, attachment um, in context and grammatically, I'm going to start at verse 15. So, Paul says, after declaring his gospel-saturated leadership, he then says this, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now stop and think about that. I'll preach the gospel to you in Rome. Who are they? Believers. He's already identified them as saints. Why would he preach the gospel to believers? Because the gospel not only converts, it conforms. The gospel is not only the foundation of the Christian life, it's the formation and the motivation as the whole counsel of God guides the Christian life. To you who are in Rome, how did they get there? Remember, some were converted at Pentecost and came back. Some were evangelized, Jews and Greeks. And some were evangelized in other places and migrated there. So now this Greek majority, Jewish minority, but a probably large minority of believers are being addressed by Paul because he can't get there. God has said no to his coming. So he's gone to plan B, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving them this epistle of the gospel of God. Now, what does he say about it? For I am not, he's not only eager to preach it, he says, I'm, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Okay, I have, if I could begin again with a confession. It's really a threefold confession. I, my heart honestly is pounding um, and has been and even increasing to be able to preach from this text. This is the text that laid hold of Augustine and Luther. This is the text that laid hold of Calvin and Wesley. Whitfield, Edwards. This is just a glorious text. But as even as I, my heart beats with rapidity at the privilege and joy to preach this text. I'm also depressed because I know of my inadequacies and incompetencies. And I also notice that, I also know that I'll get to the end of this sermon. And, uh, but then my heart gets, goes from eagerness to depression to revitalization because my heart is revitalized because I know the Spirit of God will overcome my incompetencies for your blessing. And I also know I don't leave this text because the entire rest of the epistle 
is the exposition of what's in this text. So I don't leave it. In fact, I get the opportunity to revisit it and revisit it again as this glorious distillation. Have you ever stopped and think about this? You know, does God answer prayer? Hello. What does he answer? Yes. No. Keep praying. Paul had prayed repeatedly to go to Rome. What had God said? No. This isn't hard. God said what? No. Repeatedly. And Paul keeps coming back. Now, eventually, God's going to say yes. and He's got a plan. It's called put him in chains. I'll take him to prison. That will be the plan. And uh, so he will get there. But now he's saying no. Now I want you to see, whenever God says no, that's because he's got a bigger yes. There is, in my humble opinion, there is no greater book in the Bible than the epistle of Romans, although all of them are inspired and profitable. This exposition of the gospel, humanly speaking, why do you have it? Because Paul couldn't get there to preach the gospel, so he sent this letter. And by the Spirit of God who said no to him going and yes to him writing and inspiring this, we get it in our hands. For God to put it in our hearts. It's right in front of us. This glorious exposition of what he now says five different times in the opening verses The gospel of God. Now, when I start into this, three words out of what I just read to you just grab my attention, arrest me, that call me to this text. Three words just reach out and take hold of me. The word gospel, the word eager, and the word unashamed. They just reach out and take hold. Now, gospel... In the original language is a word called euangelion. It's transliterated into your language with the word evangelism. Euangelion transliterated is evangelism. Actually, when you say evangelism, what you're actually, that's the noun, the gospel turned into a verb. And when you say euangelion, when you say the word um, evangelism, the transliteration of it, you're actually saying gospeling. You're gospeling. But why was it translated? Why was it translated gospel? Good news. Well, because of the word itself. There's a word that you probably maybe picked up, angelion. You can hear the word angel. We get the word angel. What is an angel? An angel is a messenger. And what is an angelion? It is a message. News. Story. See that prefix? E-U. You. We use that a lot in our language. You ever heard of a go to a funeral and hear a eulogy? You good logos words. Good words. In fact, sometimes at some funeral, I'm listening to the eulogy. I'm wondering, am I in the right funeral? That that guy's a lot more than I thought he was. And uh, so you've got eulogy and then you've got euphonics. Uh, I was listening to you sing. Praise to God. That was euphonia. (laughs) That was such a good sound. 
Such a good sound when God's people give praise to him. Euthanasia, thanatos, death, good death. We won't discuss the implications of that. Well, here is good news. Good, the old word for story was spelled. Good spell, contracted, gospel. Here is the gospel. The word gospel of God has been given to us. It is going to be expounded, explicated, and applied to us with great power and force over the next 16 chapters in this book. And Paul says this euangelion, this gospel. By the way, that's why, can y'all, uh, the word gospel is used to describe the, the genre of the uh, life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the what? The good news of what God sent his son to do for us. And you go to Revelation and there's the seven churches and the seven angels. That's a metaphorical picture of pastors. Why? Because pastors are messengers and they have been given a message. The good message is what they're called. So that's why that and Angelion is used to call a preacher who is committed to preach the gospel because it's through the foolishness of the message preached that we are being saved. And Paul says, I'm on my way and I want to get there because I am eager to preach the gospel. I'm up on my toes I am lifted up on my toes, eager to preach the gospel. And, he says, I'm not only on my toes, I'm standing flat-footed and I won't be moved. I'm unashamed of the gospel. I am unashamed of the gospel. Now, people... I've read many people where he says, I am eager to preach the gospel and I am unashamed to preach the gospel. And I've read me almost all of them come back to this. Well, Paul loved the gospel so much. He just could not be ashamed of it. Well, that just I, I think there's something more than that, folks, in the text. Why does he say I'm that there's something in the context whereby he wants the Romans Christians to know I'm eager to preach it and I'm unashamed to preach. I'm up on my toes. There's nothing. I can't wait to get this to you. And I'm flat footed. You can't move me off of it. Why? Because people want you to be ashamed of it. I don't think it's just out of his love for it. I'll, I'll try to illustrate this. I love Cindy Lou Miller reader. I love her. I love to introduce people to her. I love to talk about her. She doesn't love for me to talk about her, but I love to talk about her. And um, and when I do, I, I, I introduce her and because I love her. I can't ever remember a single time in any setting where I introduced her this way. Hi, I would like to introduce you, I would like to introduce to you Cindy Lou Miller Reader. And I want you all to know I am unashamed of her. I can't imagine ever saying that. If I did, I imagine it would be the last time I would say that. No, there's something else here. Can I give you a clue? Can I give you a clue? 
The cancel culture is not new. Satan has three strategies. Imitate, infiltrate, and intimidate. And he wants to intimidate using the power of the world. He wants to intimidate to use the power of the world and the cultural tools of the world to shame the believers into silence and retreat. And that's exactly what he's going to confront here. Starting next week, we're going to look at the song of despair. What happens to a culture devoid of the grace of God and the power of grace? That's going to be displayed for you in Romans 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. And it is a song with three stanzas. It is a song with three stanzas, and it, one, the first stanza shows the metric of a, of a culture in a death spiral expressed through sexual promiscuity. Then the second stanza expressed in sexual perversion. Then the third stanza expressed in social approval of rebellion against God and his word. And if you will, look with me in Romans 1, just for a second. Go with me over to Romans 1 and verse 26 in that third stanza. For this reason, I mean, in that second stanza. For this reason, God gave, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts. Well, before God, acts of sin in general and even sexual anarchy and rebellion in particular are shameful. But now the culture in its death spiral has declared them shameless. They would litigate to remove the shame, litigate. Uh, they would um, uh, propagate and celebrate it so that it becomes shameless. In fact, going down to verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought to, not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, strife, murder, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they what? They give approval. They culturally celebrate Rebellion and idolatry against the living God. You heard it this last week. A congressman dealing with the debate on an act said this. The will of God has nothing to do with the laws of America. Just a bold statement. You can see people canceled. People shamed into silence. Gaslighting is our new term. It's not new. And there was no more powerful place to do it than Rome and no more instruments of power than Rome. And Paul says, I'm on my way. And when I get there, I'm going to be eager to preach the gospel. And I am flat footed. I won't be ashamed of that gospel. You can't shame me into silence. I won't be canceled 
I won't be silenced. Now, why is it? I believe there's five reasons why that are going to be expounded for us in the rest of the epistle. But I want us to at least look at them as Paul enumerates them as his. This is kind of like spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Here's the rest of the epistle. Here's what he says. Let me give you the five reasons why he is eager to preach it and why he's unashamed to own it. Number one is this. It is because the gospel of God is definitive. The gospel of God is definitive. Now, I do wish I had paid more attention. All right, all of the high school, junior high, please listen to me. I do wish I had paid more attention at East Mecklenburg High School in my English grammar class. And I don't want to tell you the, my track record at the bastion of incomparable scholastic achievement called East Carolina University. I won't tell you about that. But I will tell you this. I'd given anything to have listened, but I did pick up something. It was called the definite article. If there is a definite article in front of the noun, that means there's something definitive about a noun. It is something one of a kind, the gospel. We don't have a gospel. We don't have any gospel. We don't have a man's gospel. We've got the gospel of God, the gospel of God. The genitive, the preposition of genitive possession is purposefully used. The gospel of God. It originates from God. It's only here because of God. Man didn't come up with it. Man didn't achieve it. It originates with God. It is propelled by the love of God. It is delivered because of the grace of God. It is accomplished by the Son of God. And you know it because of the Word of God. You remember your confession you just did a few moments ago? I delivered to you that which is of first importance. The gospel is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of the Christian life. I delivered to you that which is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to what? The scriptures that he was raised according to what the scriptures that the word that the gospel comes to us through the word of God. We don't invent the gospel. We do not discover the gospel. The gospel is revealed. Look down at that next verse for the for the righteousness of God in the gospel is revealed that God has done a saving work. To save sinners and that gospel, that good news message is from God by the grace of God because of the love of God, delivered by the spirit of God, achieved by the son of God. And it is it is defined in the word of God. This is so important to the Apostle Paul. That he he is going to write a letter. See, these people are going to send him. He wants them to send. He wants to get there, help them grow with the gospel. Then he wants to leave there and go to Spain and this be his sending church. And what he's saying is this. You can't be a sending church of me to take the gospel to the world unless the gospel saturates this church. And there's not any gospel. There's something called the gospel. And I'm going to make sure you understand the gospel. 
This is so important to him that after three years of preaching and teaching the gospel and the whole counsel of God, he leaves Ephesus and he warns the elders. Satan will not only intimidate, Satan will infiltrate and among your own selves will come false teachers. Sheep it will come wolves in sheep clothing, teaching distorted Things and leading the disciples away to themselves. Apostate teachers and preachers. He warns you against them. And not only are there wolves in sheep clothing, but there are sheep that get sometimes some wolves clothing and get influenced. That'll, that'll give rise to another book in your Bible. It's called Galatians. And what gives rise to that is when he had to confront the most noteworthy apostle of all, Peter, who had been influenced by others. And he says to him, Peter, you have left the gospel for another gospel, which is no gospel. So Paul knows the foundation is a gospel saturated church. Paul knows Satan's going to try to infiltrate with false preachers and teachers and leaders to, to adulterate the gospel and apostatize from the gospel. And he knows that even well-meaning believers can get off message. Therefore, he wants us to understand clearly this gospel of God. Man doesn't invent it. Man doesn't discover it. God has accomplished it. God has delivered it. God has revealed it. And we are not to edit it. In fact, the Bible says, if you edit it, you add or subtract, you are anathema. It's the gospel of God, defined from the word of God. To be proclaimed in the power of the Spirit of God with eagerness and unashamed. Secondly, he says the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the, the, the word there. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it. That is gospel is the dunamis. We get the word dynamite. The word dunamis of God. The dynamite of God. Well, if it's the power of God, he says, I'm eager to preach the power of God. I'm eager to preach the power of God right there in Rome. I preach it in Ephesus. I'll preach it in Jerusalem. I'll preach it in Athens. I'll preach it in Corinth. Wherever I go, whatever powers that are arrayed against the God of glory, I'm going to bring the power of God, which is in the message of the gospel of God. People say, oh, we as a church, we need to make the gospel relevant. You don't make the gospel relevant. There's nothing more relevant that exists today than the gospel. How can men and women who are wrong with God be made right with God by the power of God to the glory of of God that nothing else is more we may make it irrelevant but we can't make it more relevant than what it is you see the Bible lays out the gospel 1600 years of revelation 40 plus human authors and they say here's the bad news but here's the good news here's the righteousness of God that exposes the bad news here's the righteousness of God that brings the good news here is the good news against the bad what is the bad news you and I are born sinners we aren't sin sick we are sin dead 
We aren't just sin lame. We are sin helpless. We are ungodly. We are helpless. There is none who seek for God. No, not one. There is none who understands. No, not one. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We have no gospel of our own. We have man-made religion can't do it. It only exacerbates the problem. We are helpless and hopeless. We are dead in our sins and we are headed to a Christless eternity and we have no turnaround. The gospel is the power of God. What is impossible with man is secured and assured by God. God brings his omnipotent power to bring saving grace into the lives of sinners who are saved by faith through the power of God. With the power of the gospel of God, through the power of the word, the power of the spirit, the power of God's grace that is greater than our sin. God saves sinners. Now, how is the gospel of God revealed in the word of God definitively declared to be the power of God that we eagerly Desire to unleash in our family, in our business, in our school, and in the world. And we eagerly and without shame want to proclaim it, the power of God. What makes it the power of God? This is really interesting. Look back with me to the text. I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, watch. Why is it the power of God for in it? The gospel, which is the power of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you see what he's saying? The reason is the power of God is because God has brought the righteousness of God. To save sinners by faith in Christ. The righteous are converted by faith and they grow from faith to faith. Because of what? The righteousness of God. Now here's what's interesting. Can I take you back just for a minute? Remember that little list I gave you? How Augustine got turned around and through Augustine came Luther and Luther, Calvin and Calvin, Wesley and Wesley, uh, Edwards and Whitfield, etc., etc. And I go on and on and on that right here in this verse, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Well, let me tell you something about Luther. Luther hated these two verses. Because of that righteousness, justice of God. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that God was righteous. And he knew that God's justice was inflexible. And the righteousness of God, he began to hate and even declare hatred of God because it only reminded him he was lost, undone, helpless, and hopeless. But Luther had a mentor. And there in the little German village of Wittenberg, with the University of Wittenberg, the mentor put him to teaching the Bible. And in 1515 told him to teach the book of Romans. 
Wittenberg was not just any university. It was an Augustinian university. So when he taught Romans, he was given Augustine's notes. And in Romans 1.16, Augustine speaks of the moment he understood that this righteousness of God did not condemn. It was a righteousness of God through God from God to save sinners to the glory of God. This righteousness had been marshaled by God's grace through God's son to save us as he goes to the cross and removes our condemnation and our liabilities and our shame and our guilt and then clothes us with his glorious righteousness. That's why we sang earlier. Hope you were here on time. No condemnation. Now I dread. Why? I've been clothed with a righteousness that's divine. I have a righteousness that comes from the cross through the obedience of Jesus who took my sin and gives me his perfect obedience so that I am not only forgiven, I am innocent. I am not only acquitted, I am justified by faith in Christ who gives me his righteousness when I give him myself and he takes away my sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Luther knew heaven was not for the forgiven. Heaven was for the righteous. He not only needed to be forgiven, the gates of hell shut. He needed a righteousness that made him acceptable that would open the gates of heaven. And where can you find such a righteousness? Only from God. And the good news is, by the grace of God, that God has sent the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who goes to the cross. Our unrighteousness, thought, word, and deed, he becomes sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, I am accepted. No condemnation now I dread. Why? I am clothed with a righteousness divine. Now, bold I approach the throne of grace. Bold I approach the eternal throne through Christ. And I am his and he is mine through Christ, my own. That's why this is a powerful gospel. God's righteousness, instead of condemning, which it will at the second coming, is now available to save when you turn from your sins and by faith. You see that three times he talks about faith. Just shall live by faith. faith you grow in faith, faith to faith. So that's the question. So dear friends, right now, right now, you stand before God. You either stand in your sin 
under the judgment of God or you stand in Christ by faith and repentance. And if you stand in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. He took it away. And you are innocent. Clothed with a righteousness divine. And Paul says, I am eager to preach this. I am unashamed of this message. I don't have a religious penance gospel. I don't have a come here and buy the touch of, of um, feathers from Mary's bed. That's not what I offer to you. I offer you the power of God that takes the righteousness of God through the Son of God and removes your sin and gives you His perfections. That's what I offer to you. The dunamis of God through the righteousness of God now marshaled to save sinners by the grace of God to the glory of God. And he says not only is this message... I'm eager and unashamed because it's definitive. It's the power of God revealed in the use of the righteousness of God, secured by the Son of God to save sinners by the grace of God to the glory of God. I'm also eager because it is inclusive. I got a message that I don't have to wonder who is my target audience. This is a target rich ministry. He saves sinners. And guess what? In fact, he's going to take three chapters that we're about to go into. Chapter one, the pagan, the pagan Gentile. Chapter two, the religious Gentile. Chapter three, the Jew. And he's going to get to chapter three, verse 23, and sum the whole thing up. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I got good news for you. All have sinned and any and all can be saved who put their trust in Christ alone. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he saves all kinds of sinners. He saves Jew. He said, now he makes the chronological point. The gospel came through the Jew to us. Therefore, when we get saved, we have an obligation to take the gospel back to the Jew. We go Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, and the othermost part of the world. But what he is saying is this. All of us need a Savior. And this Savior comes to save sinners from every tribe and nation. So he saves Jew, and he saves Gentile. He saves male, he saves female. He saves rich, he saves poor. He saves up and inners, he saves down and outers. We don't have a black gospel or a white gospel or a European gospel or a South American gospel or a male gospel or a female gospel or a gospel for the rich and a gospel. We got the gospel of God, which is the power of God that reveals the righteousness of God. And all of us are sinners, but it'll save any and all sinners from all of their sins for all of eternity if you put your trust in Christ alone. This is an inclusive message, and it is an exclusive message. Any and all can be saved, and all are sinners. But everyone who believes, he says, but if you don't believe, 
then before you is a Christless eternity, the unendurable yet endured forever torment of the wrath of God unmixed. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Your only hope in that day is in this day. In that day, the righteousness of God will condemn you. In this day, in Christ, it will save you if you turn from your sins and put your trust in Him. This is why Paul is eager and unashamed. It's happened to him. It's happened to him. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, he said this. Commended to God. I got the record. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I am of the nation of Israel. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. I went after everyone that was labeled a heretic. <clears throat> I not only had death warrants against Christians in the church. As to zeal and to the law, I was found blameless. But those things that I did count gain from me, I now count, please excuse my language, I'll, I, I will doctor it some, I now count excrement, rubbish. In order to gain Christ and to be found in Him by faith in Him and His righteousness. I don't want my righteousness. I don't want the church's righteousness. I want the righteousness of Christ. And anything else that I put in place of that is rubbish. I know a lot of people say, well, I counted all things as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And people say, well, you can give up this. You can give. That's not what he's talking about. I mean, you can give up things because you love Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. But here's what, I want you, here's what he's telling you. All of those things that I think would commend me before God, I now count as rubbish. My righteousness is filthy rags. I want his righteousness. The power of God with the gospel. So what, where are we? Let me give you the takeaway. We're out of time. The gospel of God is the power of God. Which reveals the righteousness of God. Secured by the grace of God. Through Jesus Christ, the son of God. Saving any and all who by faith turn to him alone as Lord and Savior. I've tried to sum up these two verses. Now, I know you're probably looking at that and saying, Harry, there's a lot of of gods in there. You're right. And if I could get five more in there, I'd get those in there. Because that's what I need. I need God to save me. And that's the good news I've got. Is that God, out of the love of God. Saved me when I needed him but didn't want him. The one who did not need me wanted me. And by the grace of God, through the love of God, he sent the Son of God. Who then declares me righteous. Because he sends the Spirit of God to bring me from death into life so that I can believe in him. And even my faith is a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's why we sing amazing love. How can it be? That's why we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. 
But maybe you can't sing it. Maybe you don't want to sing it because you've not yet embraced it. Then I encourage you, I call you, I plead with you to come. Without any shame, I plead with you. Without any shame, I weep for you. Without any shame, I would seek to persuade you. I would eagerly answer any and all of your questions. Because I want you to know the power of God. See, the Apostle Paul, he had already seen the power of God in Jerusalem. Here, the very place where they crucified Jesus. 3,000 came to Christ. 5,000 came to Christ. A burgeoning church that cuts loose a movement that turns the world upside down. He's been in Antioch where he saw the power of God in the gospel where they first started calling us Christians. He saw the power of God in Ephesus, the cultural power center of the world. He saw the entire idolatry of Athena and Diana destroyed. He saw the power of the gospel in a Roman colony of Philippi. He saw the power of gospel in the intellectual power of Athens. He saw the power of the gospel in the sexual immorality and anarchy of Corinth and could say such were some of you, but you have been saved by the power of God in Jesus Christ. Well, listen, in the first century, you said power. Next thing you'd say is Rome. He said, well, let's go to Rome. And when we go to the citadel of power, power, power. I'm bringing the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God. I'm eager to bring the power of God through the righteousness of Christ that saves those who believe in Him. I am unashamed. You can't stop me. You can't cancel me. You can't shame me. You cannot marginalize me. I will come and stand on my toes eagerly and stand flat-footed and not be moved. I will stand to preach to you the power of God in Jesus Christ. We're in a sifting and shifting time. We're about to find out what Christians and what churches are eager and unashamed and those that will adulterate and apostatize and be shamed into silence. And praise God for a missions conference that says we're eager. Praise God for Bridge to Life training that says we're eager. But praise God, we can be eager and not ashamed because of what we're bringing. It's the power of God. I was a kid. I was uh, turned 16. I had no thought I would ever have a car at age 16. My dad was in minor league baseball. And my mama worked at Sears and Roebuck. And there was going to be no car for Harry Reader at 16. And lo and behold, on my 16th birthday, my daddy says, well, I got you a car to drive to school. I said, really? Kids, yesterday, uh, this last week I did the time with the kids in the BYG and they asked me my favorite car. Well, that's easy. 58, 57 or 58 Corvette, black, two-seater. And uh, that's, that's easy. If anybody has one you want to donate to the cause, I'll be glad to use it evangelistically. But as I was sitting there, my daddy said, well, I didn't get you a 57 Chevy, but I got you a 57 Ford. Well, if you couldn't have a 57 Chevy, 57 Ford is pretty good. And I went out, remember going out the back door at 1342 Tarrington Avenue, screen door slammed. I looked, my face hit the ground. I said, daddy, I cannot drive that to school. I'll be in a fist fight every single day. He said, son, this is, I mean, you're going to drive it. 
or you're going to walk. It's seven miles. You can, you can take your pick. You can walk. And then my daddy said something. Daddy had a way of saying things I'm convinced are in the Bible. I just hadn't found them yet. Here's one. Poor ride's better than a proud walk. That's in the Bible somewhere. And he said, son, I got this car for you. It's a 75. I got it for $75 at a South Carolina State Highway Patrol auction. I said, daddy, I cannot drive a pink car. He said, son, it's not pink. It's coral. I said, Daddy, this car is pink. I can't do this. He said, well, listen, Mr. Uppity, before you get too uppity, pull the hood up. This was a South Carolina State Interceptor. I pulled the hood up and looked under it. and There was a 392 engine. Now I know why they called it an Interceptor. And two four barrels. I said, Daddy, I might want to drive this coral car. Folks, I wasn't converted, so I'm not setting an example for any of our kids. And it is only my, now that I am converted, it is only my humility that will not give you the name, rank, serial number, and number of all the Corvettes and all the Fitzsim Chevys and all the Fords and all the Thunderbirds that pulled up beside me at a stoplight and made fun of and shamed my pink 57 Ford. And I just pointed. It's only my humility that will not tell you how many of them were sucked up my exhaust pipe. (laughs) The world will try to cancel you and shame you. All you and I have to do is lift the hood. It's the power of God to save sinners. To the glory of God. By the grace of God. I'm going to read something to you that I've modified. One of our elders gave to me. I invite you to join the fellowship of the unashamed and the eager. By the grace of God and full reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Join us. The fellowship of the eager and the unashamed. The die has been cast. We stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a follower of Christ. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away. I won't be still and I won't be silent. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth needs, colorless dreams, and resentful giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need personal preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by the presence. I now live by the presence of God, uh, by faith, loving with His patience, lifted by prayer, and laboring in the power of the Holy Spirit. My pace is set. My gait is steady. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions will be few. But my leader is reliable. My mission is clear. My message is defined. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy. By God's grace, I will not ponder the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. I will go until he returns. I will give until I drop. I will preach everything I know. I will work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, 
He will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I'm in the company of the unashamed and the eager. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. If you're not in that company, may I invite you today. Can I tell you without any shame? Because I've known the grace of God. And I know the truth of God's word that reveals it. If you come to Jesus today, you don't need to seek anywhere else. And all of the emptiness of idolatry will be replaced with the fullness of salvation in Christ. The power of God, using the righteousness of God in Christ, will save you when by faith and repentance you turn and put your trust in Him. I plead with you. I would persuade you. I have and will pray for you. Come. And then, Father, for those who know Jesus today, may this gospel not only be known, but proclaimed. May it be proclaimed eagerly and with no shame. It's the power of God to save sinners through the righteousness of God, by the grace of God, through the Son of God. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.